Good morning. Welcome home to Forge Faith Church. Uh, let's celebrate first some birthdays. There's a lot of them this week. So we've got Cindy Pierce, Iris McConnell, Kim Swayshinger, Vicki uh, Schreckengoss, Darlene Dennis, and Adeline Seabacher. So happy birthday to all those folks. Uh, also, we've got flowers. And thank you to the Dennis's for those. Appreciate those. First thing to show you on your bulletin, on the, back, on the second page, the offering prayer is not Daisy of Elijah. The praise song is Daisy of Elijah. So, just so you know, when, when that comes around, it's a, that's a, it, it slid just a little way. So, uh, and as Erica mentioned, if you can help out with decorating, please do. This is VBS week all week, as you can see on your calendar. It's every, it's the whole week is filled up with that. Uh, also, a reminder, and unless Doris wants to remind you about the United Methodist Women's Brunch in two weeks. Two weeks, 25th, so after service, it'll be a nice uh, breakfast smorgasbord. Come on for that. Please do. Mm -hmm. Love to see all your shiny, glowing faces. And your smiles, which are so nice to see. Yeah. All right. Are there other announcements that need to be shared? Yeah. Steve. <clears throat> um, I'd like to, I'm thinking about doing another uh, Bible study uh, on the, the series The Chosen. Uh, either starting in August or September. If you're not familiar with what it is, it's a series on the life of Jesus, and it's about the disciples and his calling. It's a, it's a multi-season uh, production. I've got season one that we, we did Bible study uh, this last spring, um, and, and uh, it's very um, emotional, very moving uh, series. So it, Anyway, to make a long story short, if you are interested, please see me, like I said, probably late August, uh, September sometime, and it's uh, like for nine weeks. So yeah, let me know or call Jeanette. Yes, Virginia. Is that on Sunday morning? No, it would be an evening Bible study for people that, that work during the day, because you know, some people showed an interest that if it were in the evening, they would be willing to, to attend. So, or if, you, or if you were at you the daytime one, you can come again too. But, yeah. And then uh, probably like season two is, is done in production and they're going to be releasing the DVD set for that so I may be doing a, a season two Bible study uh, later on, maybe this next spring or late winter or whatever. But uh, anyway, the invitation is there. Just let me know. Right. Thanks, <clears throat> Yes, ma'am. Uh, for everyone who's bringing food or snacks this week for VBS, could you have it here before five? Um, there was a little confusion because in, in past years it would start at 6. This year, um, VBS started at 5.30. So if the food could come before that, then I have time to get it out there. Okay, so before 5? Okay. Knee update? No, thank you. <laughs> um, due to COVID, there has been abundance of steaks out there now. So we're going to have our steak grill. Mark your calendars, August 28th, our church picnic at the house. So we'll have a sign-up sheet, and uh, we'll get billed as a rare steak. How's it eat? It's getting there. Okay. And thanks right. for all your prayers. Guys. All right. Anybody else? I think that means take it away. That means take it away? That, uh, <laughs> take it away. All right. Jill will take it away. All right. <laughs> All right, we have a uh, 
uh, called worship that's responsive this morning. So if you will join me in responding to that. From different lives. We come to worship. From good weeks and bad weeks. We come, we come to worship. Bringing great times and painful memories. We come to worship. Needing healing, needing peace. We come to worship. With hope in our hearts. We come to worship. Together. We come to worship.
doing really great after breaking his leg at my house, doing something for me, which makes me feel terrible. But, but you know, my dad does what dad wants to do, so just keep him healthy and safe. And thank you for helping to heal him. And now we need to pray for a few people in our congregation this morning and on the outside of our congregation as well for, for Andy, for his upcoming knee surgery that, that goes well and that he can he can limp around with our other friend who just had knee surgery. They can be knee buddies together. <laughs> May these doctors just uh, have the wisdom and the skill to, to get that fixed and, and uh, he will feel better. So we're just so looking forward to his healing. Um, for Dennis Haney, who is uh, diagnosed with cancer, for his surgery in August, for, for his surgeons and the doctor team to, to have discernment and know how to best treat him and we be with him and his family as he goes through this very difficult time. And then we want to continue to pray for Kathy and for Kay, who are <coughs> in assisted living at the moment, um, just uh, getting better and uh, getting the care that they need in an environment that's safe and secure for them. It's difficult for us to be away from those we love in times when they need more help than we can physically give them. So, Lord, be with them and be with their families and friends, too, as they go through a difficult time of separation. And may they keep improving and, uh, you know, ultimately be able to, to be good again and to live again and to do the things that they like to do. Hear our prayers, power of God, and through the ministry of your Son, free us from the grip of your tomb. We may desire you as the fullness of life and proclaim your saving deeds to all the world. And now, may we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For God is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory to
1926. When it was decided that we were to sail for Italy, they transferred Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius, embarking on a ship of Adramithium, which was about to set sail for the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and allowed him to go to his friends to be cared for. Putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. After we had sailed across the sea that is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship bound for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. And as the wind was against us, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salamis, Salami. Sailing past it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lysa. Since much time had been lost and sailing was now dangerous, because even the fast had already gone by, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I can see that the voyage will be in danger and much heavy loss, not only to the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Since the harbor was not suitable for spending the winter, the majority was in favor of putting to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix where they could spend the winter. It was a harbor of Crete facing southwest and northwest. When a moderate south wind began to blow, <coughs> they thought they could achieve their purpose, so they weighed anchor and began to sail past Crete close to the shore. But soon a violent storm called the Northeaster rushed down from Crete. Since the ship was caught and could not be turned head in onto the wind, we gave way to it and were driven. By running under the lee of a small island called Cotta, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. After hoisting it up, they took measures to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run on the Syrtis, they lowered the sea anchor and so were driven. We were being pounded by the storm so violently that on the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. And on the third day, with their own hands, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest raged, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete, and thereby avoided this damage and loss. I urge you now to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For last night there stood by me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before the emperor. Indeed, God has granted safety to all those who are sailing with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have told you but we will have to run aground on some island. 
Um, we'll be continuing our series called Anxious for Nothing, which is based on the book by that name by Max Lucado. And today we'll be talking about God's peace, inner peace. So who can remember a few years ago, quite a few years ago now, seeing a blockbuster film called The Perfect Storm? Did anyone see that movie? Raise your hand if you saw that movie. Oh, yeah, quite a few did. Okay. Well, it, it came out in the year 2000, but it was, it was a story of a real storm that struck the entire Atlantic seaboard um, from Canada all the way down to Puerto Rico in 1991. So the actual storm happened quite a long time ago. And this historic event uh, damaged countless vessels and caused monetary damage at the time in excess of $200 million and killed at least 13 people, maybe more. In the movie, they follow the fate of a fishing vessel called the Andrea Doria, or I'm sorry, wrong shipwreck, Andrea Gill, through the storm and documented its tragic end um, and the, the efforts of her valiant crew to save her. Um, and that was an actual ship that did go down in that storm. Um, how many of you remember the blizzard in 1978? Oh uh, yeah, pretty much everybody who lived here at the time probably remembers that. Um, that was another perfect storm. That a bad uh, bunch of meteorological circumstances came together at just the right time and just the right way to create a storm of unprecedented power and proportion. In fact, wasn't anticipated. I remember I was right, uh, right after Christmas break was supposed to be over. We were supposed to start school. And I had a project due that I was supposed to have been working on over break. And I had not done it. It wasn't done. <laughs> I had done part of it, but it wasn't finished. And I was so anxious because I had to go to school the next day, and I didn't have this project done. And so we had this little ritual at our house where my mom was a teacher too, and she wasn't ready to go back to school. So we did a, our little snow dance. But we had no hope that anything was going to happen because it was raining. You know, what are the chances? It's raining. We're, we're going to go to school tomorrow. Well, at 4 a.m. that morning, my dad came upstairs and he knocked on my bedroom door. He said, you've got to come down and see this. I said, see what? <laughs> you've got to come down. You'll never see snow like this probably again in your lifetime. You've got to come downstairs. So this was before the electricity went out. So I went downstairs and we looked out the back room of our family room. He had the spotlight turned on outside and it was white, just completely white. Um, I've never seen anything like it. And the snow at that point at 4 in the morning, and I'd gone to bed about 10 when it was still raining, it was about that deep. It was almost even with the bottom of the window. And so uh, he said, well, probably won't have school today. And I'm inwardly cheering, yes. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. You listened to me. I don't think it had anything to do with my prayer. <laughs> um, we didn't go to school the next day, and by 7.30, went back to bed. By 7.30, when I woke up, the electricity was off, and our house was cold. 
and we didn't have electricity for several days after that. And the other side of our street didn't have electricity for weeks. So, yeah, I remember that storm, and it was an amazing thing because it was completely unexpected by anyone. Um, we're seldom warned in advance or prepared to respond when these kinds of unexpected and out of the ordinary circumstances occur. Yet they do occasionally rear their ugly heads and they force us to respond whether we're prepared for them or not, right? We don't have any choice when they hit, we gotta do something. And what makes these perfect storms so overwhelming for us is that they combine multiple elements that are bad enough all by themselves. Um, for example, in the 1991 no-name storm, as they call it, because that was before they started to name nor'easters, um, it had hurricane-force winds combined with the cold front. And this alone is hard enough to navigate and can cause severe damage on shore. But in addition, just as the cold front went out over the water, it met with warm, moist air in the atmosphere that added torrential rain and sleet to the mix. And this trifecta of extreme cold with gale-force wind and torrential rain produced a weather trifecta that the fishermen were not prepared to confront. And we all know, of course, that you don't have to be a fisherman to meet up with the perfect storm in life. There are perfect storms of all kinds in this life, and one bad event plus another, plus a catastrophe on top of that, and boom. Before we know it, we are right in the middle of one. Let me give you an example. You lose your good paying job. Now this is not a good thing, but you might be able to handle a job loss. You've got job skills. It'll be a challenge, but you'll find another job. But what if you lose your good paying job right in the middle of a recession? Well, that's a little more challenging. And what if on top of losing your good paying job in the middle of a recession, you also find out that same week that either you or your spouse has been diagnosed with a serious health condition that will require extensive and expensive treatment. Now, you are weighed down in a perfect storm. It's a perfect storm because so many things have come together at once. We become paralyzed in these situations by shock, really, and, and extreme anxiety is the result of the shock. The truth is that unexpected trials can erupt one after the other in our lives, and they often do, because sometimes one brings on another, right? But do you know that it is possible to experience unexplainable peace during these storms in life? Today we will consider what God's peace can become, how it can become our peace, even in the midst one of these perfect storms. The truth is that God's peace is a gift, a gift, a gift to us in the times of stormy anxiety. In Philippians 4-7, Paul writes, the peace of God, 
which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ. Notice Paul doesn't say peace from God, but peace of God. In John 14.27, Jesus says, My peace I give you. <coughs> Our Father gives us the very peace of God. It's as if God downloads the tranquility of his throne room right into our, right into our world, affording us his own inexplicable calm. I can tell you about a moment in my own life when I felt this calm peace of God that was coming from without me, but was making itself a place inside me and giving me the clarity of heart and peace that I needed in that moment. Three years ago, just before I was struck by an SUV, a voice that was not my own, spoke to me, really screamed at me, and said, protect your head. And I threw my arms up like this, both arms, over my head and locked my fingers behind my neck, just as the truck hit my legs. From that moment on, I knew that peace of God. After I hit the ground, I realized I had not banged my head Amazingly, I had not banged my head on the pavement. I knew that I had injuries to my lower body and my arms, but I was completely calm and at peace. I even had the presence of mind to have someone call my husband, who was still a police officer and was working that day, um, to call him and let him know in case he had inadvertently been dispatched to the scene because it was in his town. I didn't want him to respond to a routine traffic call and find me on the pavement. I remained at peace for some time, even after the ride to the hospital. It was the effects of the morphine that they gave me before my x-rays that finally took away <laughs> that and dispelled that feeling of God's peace that I had experienced. I longed to feel God's peace that strongly again in my life. However, I know that God is always present in times of trouble and works always to guard our hearts with his peace. We talked last week about this story in Matthew 14, 22 to 27. So let's review in case you were not here or don't remember. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And while, sounds like we might have to get into a boat. <laughs> while he sent his multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. The boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Now remember, while Jesus went up on the mountainside to pray, he sent his disciples 
paddles across the lake in a boat to wait for him on the other side. And during the night, a fierce wind came up over the water and caused the boat and the disciples who were in the boat to toss about in the waves. And the anxiety level was surely high among the disciples because even though those boats were fairly seaworthy, it wasn't too great a thing to be in one when you're being tossed around in the wind. They couldn't flip over. So Jesus came down from the mountain and started out across the water to the boat. And at a distance, the disciples saw this figure coming toward them across the surface of the water and were not only anxious but fearful. Imagine it. Imagine yourself. You're out in a boat on Lake Erie and all of a sudden from the Canada direction, you see someone walking toward you on the top of the water. What would you think? Would you be a little anxiety ridden and frightened? I think I would because that isn't normal, is it? Not unless they're on a jet ski or something. But anyway, he called out to them to be at peace because he was near. His supernatural peace in the midst of the storm enveloped him, enveloped them, and they were able to be calm. So calm, in fact, that as we heard last week, Peter was willing to step out of the boat and to walk toward Jesus a few steps on the water himself. The point is that Jesus does the same for us today in the midst of all our storms. This peace of God is available to everyone. But here's the catch. And it's a big catch because it depends on us. Just as God's gift is given freely, God's peace is given freely. But it must be received. We must be willing to ask God to give us peace and we must be willing to put aside our own expectations to open our hearts and our minds to receive God's gift of peace. And that's the hard part. We humans like logic. We like to understand everything that's going on for us. Free gifts are not logical, are they? No. Even in the grocery store when they say, yeah, free gift with this purchase. It's not really free, is it? No, you don't get anything in this life for really free. But for God, it's really a free gift with no strings attached. And we have trouble comprehending such a thing. The fact remains that God loves us so much that the Creator will provide us with the gift of peace when we call out to Him and ask. And sometimes even when we don't ask. I didn't have a chance to ask during the car accident. It happened so fast. I got it anyway. How do you respond to an onslaught of unexpected setbacks? Do you become fearful? Do you lash out in anger? Do you deny the trouble and just attempt to handle it like it's normal? Do you do a combination of all of those things? All of these ways, plus many others, are the typical responses of normal people thrust into the experience of extreme anxiety. But anxiety 
only tells us there's a problem to meet. It doesn't help us to overcome the problem, does it? In 1 Peter 5, 7, it tells us, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Peter's not saying that hyperbolically. He means that. God invites us all to cast our anxiety on him. He invites us to pray, petition, and request his help. Trials and storms are opportunities to experience the inexplicable peace of God. Jesus' own peace. The storms of life often reveal our weaknesses, as we know. And it is in our weakness that we find opportunities to experience God's grace. The truth is that we may be weak in our own strength, but we are strong in God's strength. Have you ever gotten through something and you say to yourself and to everyone who will listen, I can't believe I got through that. I didn't think I was strong enough. You probably weren't. But God was walking with you. And you took strength from that. And that makes all the difference. The following passage is from 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, Paul's a special case. Usually we don't pray for hardships to happen to us so that we can, you know, prove that we can accept God's strength. That's not usually the way most people handle life. But Paul was a different kind of bird. And, and, and we're kind of glad he was because, you know, he wrote the bulk of the New Testament and figured all these things out that, that we would have difficulty figuring out on our own. So thank you, Paul. But that is um, quite an insight. Paul has been telling his audience about his weaknesses as an apostle for Christ. And he now begs to be released from the thorn of Satan in his side. Now, the thorn of Satan that Paul talks about in his side, historians aren't sure exactly what was wrong with Paul. But Paul had some kind of chronic health condition because it comes up again and again throughout the scriptures. There is some speculation that, that he had perhaps a uh, degenerative muscle issue. Uh, another theory is that he had a skin condition, um, severe eczema or something of that sort. Nobody knows for sure what Paul's affliction was, but there were times when it was really debilitating for him, and, and those times pop up in scripture because he mentions it several times. Um, the passage begins with God's response, letting Paul know that he will be made perfect in his weakness. Paul says he now delights in his weakness because that is where God's strength in him truly lies. We often try hard to hide our weaknesses from everyone, don't we? 
But God already knows our weaknesses. Can we hide anything from God? Can we? Nah, He knows. So we can do all, all we can we can do anything we want to try to hide it from God. He is gonna know. We may be able to slide it over on some of our friends and family, but you can't hide anything from God. He already knows everything about us, every hair on our head. So we might as well just be honest with God because He knows anyway. And he'll use them. He'll use those weaknesses that he knows that we have to uh, fulfill his power in us. <coughs> if we let him. And that's the key. We have to allow it. God makes three promises to us when we face perfect storms. And these three promises are spelled out for us in our scripture lesson this morning in Acts 27, 1-26. In this passage, we hear the story of Paul on board the Egyptian grain ship bound for Rome that carries him to face his trial. In a winter sea, a ferocious wind, a cumbersome boat, and an impatient crew conspired to create a perfect storm, not only for Paul, but for everyone on board the ship. And during the voyage, the crew encounters horrific weather in the Mediterranean, which is a relatively shallow sea, so it is susceptible to wind events. And it lasted for 14 days. And here are the important points of the ordeal for our purposes here. Paul had previously warned the sailors not to sail because it was too late in the year. But the crew did not want to winter over in the port where they were currently landed. So the sailors ignored him and set sail for Phoenix, which was a better port, more amenities, despite Paul's warning. Now shortly after the crew set sail for a better harbor, a hurricane force wind known as a nor'easter, yes, they're called nor'easters there too, apparently, just like they are on our coast, a nor'easter began to batter the ship. And the storm raged on and on for days as the crew did everything they could think of to stabilize this cumbersome, bulky grain ship. And just as their strength was nearly gone and they'd given up all hope of being saved, an angel appeared to Paul, assuring him that no lives would be lost and only the ship would be destroyed. God's words to Paul during this time in verse 23 reveal those three promises that I mentioned that we can cling to when the storms of life arise. Number one, heaven has helpers to help us. Paul says, last night an angel stood beside me. God sent an angel to reassure Paul in his time of need. We see the same thing, if you want to check it out, in Daniel 10, 5 and 6, and in Hebrews 1, 14. If you want to jot those down and look them up later when you get home and check it out. Heaven has a place for us. That's number two. In verse 23, Paul says, The God to whom I belong. God takes responsibility for our lives. By the way, I wanted to mention God's helpers. One of those helpers spoke to me in my accident. 
There was no one behind me who yelled. There was no one on the street. But somebody yelled, in my ear, protect your head. I will hear those words echo in my mind for the rest of my life. But there was no one behind me. So it had to be a messenger from God because who else could have said it? And number three, we are in the Lord's service. Paul calls the Lord in verse 23, the Lord whom I serve. Our lives move according to, not our timetable like we would like, but according to God's timetable. In Psalm 139, 16, this is confirmed. It says, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So what do we make of these promises? Heaven has helpers to help us. Heaven has a place for us. We are in the Lord's service. Well, here's some takeaways. We belong to God. He trusts us and loves us. And he's given us things to do while we live here on earth. But this world, this world, is not our final home. He never makes us do things alone. He always sends helpers to us, someone to help us when we need it, whether we're aware of it or not, because sometimes the helpers come in the form of our friends or family members, right? Our lives will be as long as they need to be to do what God has asked of us. I didn't die that day for whatever reason. I should have, but I didn't. So apparently, God has more for me to do. It's the only reason I can think of, because I should have died that day, and I did not. So, Paul did not die in the storm either, because his mission to get to Rome was not yet finished, and he had more work to do. His life, along with the lives of the crew, were spared because Paul still had work to do. No life is too short too long in God's eyes. He doesn't see time like we see time. He's not bound by time and space as we are. We will live our prescribed number of days, however many those are, and we cannot always change the quantity of those days, but we certainly can change the quality of those days. God never promises us no troubles in life. Quite the contrary, in fact. I have endured many, and so will you, and so probably have you. But Max Lucado tells us to look at verse 22 in Paul's story, where it says, But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship to lose your ship. Your ship is the vessel that carries, sustains, and protects and supports you. The boat is your marriage, your body, your business. Without your boat, you think you'll sink because your boat is what's kept you afloat. And you're correct. You will sink for a while. 
Waves will sweep over you. Fear will suck you under like a Pacific riptide. But what? Take heart, says Paul. Take heart, says Christ. In this world, you will have trouble. But be brave. I have defeated the world. You can lose it all, only to discover that you haven't. God has been there all along. Good work for Matt. So I'll close this morning with a story that Matt shares in his book that puts all this talk about God's peace into some perspective, if you still doubt the existence of God's peace for you. At the age of two, Noah Drew accidentally fell out of his family car because the automatic locks failed to engage. His mother <coughs> was unaware of his having slipped out the door until she felt a thump under the rear wheels. Her husband, Ben, noticing Noah was not in his seat, jumped out of the car and found Noah lying on the pavement. He was shaking violently and had blood on his legs. After being rushed to the ER, it was discovered that Noah had scrapes and bruises, but no broken bones or internal injuries, even though a 5,000-pound car had just rolled over him. When Anna put Noah to bed that night, she dropped to her knees beside her son and thanked Jesus for sparing him. She thought Noah was asleep, but he turned to his mother and he said, Mama, Jesus catched me. He did, she said. Noah replied, I told Jesus thank you, and he said, you're very welcome. Over the next couple of days, Noah added some details. Mama, Jesus has brown hands. He catched me like this. He said as he demonstrated, holding his arms outstretched with cupped palms. The next day, he told his mother that Jesus had brown hair. When pressed for anything further, Noah said, that's all. But when he said his prayers at night, he prayed, Jesus, thank you for catching me. God still catches his children. He still provides the perfect peace to us in the midst of our perfect storms. So the question is, will you live into God's promises today? Will you choose to trust God and accept the gift of his peace that he provides? That's a big question. Take that home and chew on it a little bit. <coughs> Let us pray. Dear Lord, teach us to trust in you so that when the unexpected storms of life come, we will expect peace in the midst of those storms, knowing that you are near, that you hear our cries, and you are with us and for us. In Jesus' name we pray.
from Romans 8, 35, 37 to 39. It's responsive, so I'll begin and you all can finish. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulations or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. In all things we are more than conquerors. Through the one who loved us, we are sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks be to God. I like that. So hopefully by fall we'll be able to, to do our uh, offering in the normal way. But for now, there will be plates by the door on the chairs if you brought your envelope with you this morning. If you haven't already dropped it in there. And you can also mail it to the church or drop it off during church office hours or use the online giving option. But however you choose to give, just want you to know how much it is truly appreciated by your church family, by the community, and by the Lord. So thank you. And now our offering prayer. This was written by David S. Bell. It's a beautiful prayer. Blessed one, you offer a redemptive inheritance, sometimes beyond our imagination. You graciously bestow each of us with your wisdom, grace, forgiveness, and love. Joyously, we share these tithes and offerings as you call us to give. You remind us to place our hopes and dreams in your love and grace. Thank you, God, for giving us your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Now, please stand if you are able for singing of the doxology.
go with you. God's quiet within the noise. God's hope within uncertainty. God's rest within the toil. God's presence within your soul. Peace go with you. Amen.